I know he has. God's always good, isn't he? All the time. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis 50, verse 20. The topic tonight is dealing with bitterness. By the way, Joseph is speaking here in Genesis 50, verse 20. Look what he says. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it good to bring to pass as it is this very day to save much people alive. How many are glad that God is in control? He controls the affairs of this life. Because our topic is dealing with bitterness, I'm convinced that Satan would love to fill our lives with bitterness, with a root of bitterness. It can be real, it can be devastating, and it can certainly hinder our walk with God. Probably one of the most profound questions asked by believers and non-believers, both, is where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? Believers wonder where God's goodness and grace is as they patiently wait on it to appear. When will it come? Non-believers find this to be one of the, I think, biggest hang-ups to accepting God's offer of grace through Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you're like me, you've heard these questions through the years. How could a good God allow evil to happen? If God is good, why does he allow it to happen? How does God allow children to starve in other parts of the world? Several years ago, one of my brothers in the flesh, who's not saved, had a friend, a family friend of his. Uh, I didn't know the family myself, but they lost their nine-year-old son to cancer. And you can imagine what their question was. How could God allow that? They also asked, why does God allow tragedy? Why does he allow pain and death to take away the ones we love? And sometimes we ask, why am I taking so long to grow more like Christ? Tough questions, honest questions. And by the way, I'm glad we serve a God who hears the cry of our hearts. He knows where we live. He knows who we are. He knows our pain. And I realize we may not like this, but the fact of the matter is God can and he does use adversity and mistreatment 
to bring us where He wants us to be. Don't forget that. And we also mentioned this several weeks ago. Our vision is limited. What we see is so much less than what God sees. And how many know He knows the end from the beginning? We don't know tomorrow. He knows everything about tomorrow. And what's interesting, and we'll be using Joseph as an example in a moment, the good that often comes from treachery of the other people is not planned by them. It's not planned by the hand of man. And even those who do evil and God takes it and turns it for good, they don't see that in advance. And the only way you could ever see it is by faith. By faith. I'm thankful to serve a God who's always involved. Even when I think he's not. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's actively involved in the affairs of this world. And I realize even as Christians, the end result, we may not ever see it in this life. But one thing we can be sure of, our God knows what he's doing. And everything he does, he does what he wants. He seeks no counsel. But everything he does is for our good and for his glory. And we cannot miss that teaching from the word of God. And think about this. We read from Genesis 50 verse 20 a moment ago. And Joseph said, God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Folks, do you realize as we allow the hand of God to work in our lives, even through the struggle of adversity and hardships, there will come a day we will look back and we will realize it had to be that way. Think about that. That's what Joseph says. It had to be that way. We've been looking at the life of Joseph as a biblical example. I don't believe there's any other, in my opinion, any better example on this principle than what Joseph went through. We would agree that if anyone had a right to be bitter, and none of us do, Joseph had that right. We uh, looked at Genesis 45, verse 3, and where the Bible says, Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him. Why? For they were troubled at his presence. How many believe that's an understatement? Undercover boss, right? (laughs) They were troubled at his presence. At least 15 years have gone by. Tough years. Years of mistreatment, of being lied to, being forgotten in prison for two more years. 
If anybody had a right to be bitter, it was Joseph. Notice again in verse 4, Genesis 45, the first, the last part. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I like that verse because Joseph says, if you, if you, if, if you don't think I'm who I am, let me tell you a little secret. That only I know, only you know, and only God knows. I am the one who... 15, 17 years ago, you sold into Egypt. I suggest that they were chewing gum, they swallowed it. <laughs> he had their attention. Lord, help me to be a man of faith, to be a man like Joseph was, to understand. There's an essential truth here. Verse 8, chapter 45. Joseph says, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. I don't know what it took. I don't know how long it took for Joseph to realize that. I mean, certainly he had to be hurt because his brothers did what they did to him. But there came a time in his life when Joseph realized, you know, Lord, I'm beginning to see it now. It wasn't really them who sent me here. It was you. Now, we've got the privilege of reading the story ahead of time. We know the story. How many know Joseph didn't, didn't read it ahead of time? He had no idea there'd be a famine coming. He'd ha he had no idea that that fledgling nation of Israel uh, about 70 people, give or take, would be wiped off the map through this famine if God didn't do something. And Joseph looked back and he says to his brothers, it wasn't you, it was God, and it had to be this way. Now make no mistake about it, Joseph knew. There was no doubt in his mind that they did what they did because they wanted to hurt him. But also understand this, and here's a principle we've got to get a hold of, folks. At the same time, he knew God allowed it to happen. How many times have we prayed or thought, well, Lord, could you not have stopped this from happening? Sure we have. And Joseph knew they meant evil, but he also knew that God allowed it to happen so that he would end up where he is that day as ruler in Egypt. So at the exact moment when they needed him in that position, he would be there to save him. To save his brothers. Would to God that he would allow me, that I would have a strong enough faith that I, ha well, I would have a vision of God that is so vast, it would dwarf any circumstance in my life. God is in control. Now, I don't want to dwell on, we, we kind of mentioned this last week, but, you know, Joseph had two sons that were told about while he's in Egypt. The first one he named Manasseh. 
He said, because God has called me to forget the toil and the things my family put me through. The word Manasseh means forget. Second son, he named Ephraim. He said, God has made me fruitful in this land. And Ephraim means fruitful. Folks, it's an amazing thing what God can do when we let him work in our lives. And God had been at work in Joseph's life. So here we are, we see this story. We know the background. And we know that what his brothers did was evil. So the question I want to consider tonight, how God involves himself with evildoers. That's kind of, whew, that's hard for me to even say that, all right? But nothing goes on in this world that God doesn't know about. So how does God involve himself? And again, when we think about the story of Joseph, we, when we consider what Joseph said to his brothers, look at verse 5, Genesis 45. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Now, I got to tell you, I admire Joseph. I might have said to them, hey, fellas, don't feel bad. This is God's doing. He sent me here to preserve life. But now you are mine. He didn't do that. He speaks pastorally to them. He wants a comfort. He knows they're hurting. He knows they're angry with themselves. He knows the thoughts they're having in their minds. And it's very clear that what Joseph's brothers had done to him was evil. And make no mistake about it, Joseph knew that. But here's what's interesting. Well, would you agree what they did was wrong? Sure. And yet what they had done to Joseph eventually put him in the right place at the right time. You remember the dreams he had about them bowing down. How many know they thought they would never do that? And what they didn't know, what they did to Joseph, caused that to come about. God used their evil intent to bring about good. So when we ask the question, does God sometimes use evil to accomplish his plans, his goals? Let me give you another quick example. We're not going to stay here long. Habakkuk chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6. Now God is speaking to this prophet. And this prophet has been kind of, I don't know, a little bit angry at God. Because he, he, he can't believe that God is letting going on with the nation of Israel and not doing anything about it. And basically God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to do a work that when you see it, you won't believe it. Look what he says in verse 5, Habakkuk 1. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, 
which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. In case you don't think God knows about it, here's what he says about it. That bitter and hasty nation, which shall march to the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Habakkuk said, God, our nation is wicked. Israel is rebelling against you. What are you going to do about it? And God says to Habakkuk, God says, my intention is to raise up Babylon. And God knows that Babylon is a ruthless, dreaded nation But God said, I am going to use them to achieve my purposes. So yes, God does at times use evil to accomplish his plans. Now in the story of Joseph, what we've been looking at tonight, God used the evil intentions of his brothers to achieve his purpose. How many know the purpose of God is going to happen? It will be fulfilled. And it's important that we draw a distinction between God controlling evil and God creating evil. God is not the author of sin. He didn't cause those brothers to sell Joseph. But once they did, he used it for Joseph's good, the good of the whole nation of Israel, and for God's glory. And so God is not the author of sin, but he can use sinful men to attain an objective. Another example, I don't have the verses in our notes tonight. But you know, Jeremiah prophesied that once the Babylonians came in and took them captive, they would spend 70 years in captivity. Guess how long they were in captivity? 70 years. And before that happened, Isaiah prophesied that there would be a man by the name of Cyrus who would allow those people to come back home, a pagan king. I don't know about Cyrus. I don't know about his uh, religion, what he was at all, but God used him to bring them home. Romans 8, 28, you know the verse, and we know. Let me camp up one second. In our walk with God, it's important what we know. Not how you feel. What we know. I must confess I've had a bad week. I don't know why. And I've been crabby. I wasn't talking to you. No reason. Just was. And if I lived on how I feel, it's not good. It's what we know that matters. Paul says, and we know 
We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called, who are the called according to his purpose. If we know it, no matter what we're going through, we must understand God will work it out for our good. Somehow, some way, someday. It will be for our good and for God's glory. Now, Paul said, for we know, and he talks about all things. Anybody know what the word all means, that three-letter word, A-L-L? All things. That includes the good and what else? The bad. God will cause all things. Good things, bad things. And so God can, and He does, use our struggles. He uses heartbreaks and tragedies in ways to bring about His glory and our good. For we know. And when those things happen in our lives, those kind of events... Most of the time, we we simply don't know why. We don't understand the reason. And I'm sure there was a time in Joseph's life, he was right there. But even when we don't understand the reason for those things, all of those things, all things, are part of God's perfect divine plan. For we know. Now, by the way, if my God couldn't control evil, he couldn't be God. God can control evil. God's sovereignty demands that he be able to control everything. If God could not control everything, including evil, he would not be sovereign. And here's what bugs me about that. That tells me that God is in control of everything, even scoundrels like Joseph's brothers. God's in control. But we also have to remember what the Bible teaches. And at the same time, knowing that God controls evil... The Bible is clear that God does not sin, and God cannot perform evil, but he can't control it. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. He is the rock. Amen. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. God cannot sin. He cannot do But we can't miss the fact 
in the story of Joseph that God was using the evil of Joseph's brother to accomplish his will. I know we're instructed in the disciples' prayer, Lord, thy will be done. Let me guarantee you something. His will will be done. It will be accomplished. In Joseph's day, the purpose of God was to save a fledgling nation. Now, by the way, it's kind of interesting if you look at the story of the Genesis unfolding. Um, before we get into the story of Jacob and Joseph, the Bible gives us a chapter sort of summarizing the life of Esau and how quickly Esau's nation began to grow almost overnight. Now it wasn't, but, you know, relatively speaking. And yet how the nation of Jacob, Israel, would struggle for a while. So God had a purpose in all those things that happened to Joseph. And his whole purpose was to preserve this small nation from whom the Messiah would come. How many know God knew Jesus was coming? How many know God had already preordained he come through the Jews? And there was no one who could exterminate the Jews. So whether it's Joseph, whether it's Habakkuk, or anyone else, at the end of the day, we have to come to a place that we have to acknowledge the Lord's perfect wisdom. I, I don't know if I've ever said this or not, but I, if I have, I've broke myself of it. I never say, Lord, I wouldn't have done it that way. His knowledge is perfect. His wisdom is perfect. And so, yes, we might struggle with God's methods. And we do at times. We might struggle with how God, you know, uh, chooses to operate in our lives. But how many know that choice is up to God, not up to us? And so it was in the life of Joseph. There are times that God intervenes in a miraculous way. Other times, God is working behind the scenes. And we know that God could have spared Joseph from being sold into slavery. He didn't do that. Now, all those years, guess who's working behind the scenes? It's God. And, and yes, God may allow a certain measure of freedom to evil forces. But he does that only to bring about his intended purpose. His goal is designed. So if we follow life from God's perspective, and by the way, a lot of times when I'm praying, I, say, I pray, Lord, help me to gain your perspective. Help me to see things the way you see them. 
help me to see things from where you sit. I need that in my life. So if we learn to view life from God's perspective, our response is going to be to worship the Lord. Because we know He is in control of all things. I love the book of Job. And one of the most amazing things to me, in chapter 1, I don't have the verse in my notes tonight, Job receives all that bad news, one after the other. Boom, boom, boom. And the last thing he finds or he hears is all of his children have been killed. And the Bible says Joseph, I mean, Job fell down and did what? He worshipped. And I remember struggling, struggling with that for years. I thought, Lord, how could he do that? i tell you how. Because Job knew that no matter what, God was still in control. And when we finally come to the place in our lives that we realize that God is in control, our response will be worship. The final word will be worship. So what those brothers did to Joseph without question was evil. Was evil. But the amazing thing is, Joseph didn't dwell on that. His focus was on God. But God meant it for our good. But God. And so there's a sense, a time that comes in our lives, we have to say that God is not the cause of evil. God wasn't a partner in what they did, so he's not a partner in evil. And this is a little bit difficult to put into words, but God is involved in those evil deeds of evildoers. He doesn't cause sinners to sin, but what they do will fit into his ultimate plan. So how does God do that? How did he do it with Joseph's brothers? Number one, he allows them to reveal what is in their hearts. Now think about that. You know the story. What Joseph's brothers did, without a doubt, was motivated entirely by jealousy and envy. They hated Joseph. They couldn't stand the thought that their little brother would one day rule over them. That was preposterous. Now remember, God didn't cause the evil in their hearts. He only revealed the evil that was already in their hearts. It was there. Now, by the way, as long as dad was watching, Joseph was safe. But when they're out shepherding the flocks, 
And Joseph came to find them, their hidden envy boiled over to the surface. It was already in their hearts. Now initially they planned to leave him in a pit to die there. But God intervened. And God said, so in so many in his actions, he's not going to die there. I'm not going to let that happen. So God intervenes and he sends a midnight caravan. Now remember, they're out in the middle of nowhere. What's the chance of that happening? When God's in it 100%, right? Proverbs 16, verse 9. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Would you agree that Joseph's brothers had a plan in their heart? Here's what we're going to do. But guess who intervened? It was God. And I want to submit to you tonight, the fact that the Midianite traders came along when they did was not a coincidence. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't an accident. And then what about Potiphar? He ended up buying Joseph from these slave traders. What about him? Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. What about his wife? The one who seduced Joseph, and when he refused, she lied, and he ended up in prison. Was that a coincidence? No. And what about that baker and the cupbearer? Was that an accident? Was that coincidence? And what about Pharaoh? How many know that all of those people played a part in the purpose of God? They all acted according to their own will. Make no mistake about it. But their actions, now hear me well, were all in accordance with God's plan. God had a plan, and it was going to come about. Thomas Akempi said this, For the resolutions of the just depend neither on the grace of God, I'm sorry, depend rather on the grace of God than their own wisdom. And in him, they always put their trust, whatever they take in hand. For man proposes, but God disposes. Neither is the way of man in his own hands. Folks, do you know tonight God's in control? And I don't know how often I've got to remind myself of this. When I see the mess our nation is in, I've got to remember... God is in control. Now remember, it wasn't God who caused Joseph's brothers to envy. It wasn't God who caused Potiphar's wife to lust and to lie. Joseph's brothers, Potiphar's wife, they did that on their own. 
All God did was give them a chance to act on the evil already in their hearts, on their evil intentions. So when God allowed that to happen, He didn't cause it to happen. It revealed the evil that was already in their hearts. God knows what He's doing. Proverbs 19.21 There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, a counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Somebody say amen. <laughs> yeah. Plan all you want. Devise this and devise that. But the counsel of our God is going to stand. 13 to 15 years earlier, Joseph said, I had a dream, fellas. One of these days, you're going to bow down to me. They said, Joseph, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. Guess what happened? The counsel of the Lord stands. So number one, God involves himself with the evil people to allow them to reveal what's in their heart. Number two, he allows Satan. Let me say it again. He allows Satan to instigate them to do evil. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Folks, do you understand this tonight that Satan is the source of all evil in our world? Every bit of it. Not God, it's Satan. Satan hates God. Satan is God's arch enemy. And because he hates God, guess who else he hates? God's people. He hates you and me. So we're his enemy as well. He's our enemy. Now, by the way, while Satan has no power against God, he does what he can to harm us. He does what he can to hinder our walk with God. In Job chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? In other words, what have you been doing? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. You know what he's doing? He's patrolling, patrolling up and down the earth, trying to find somebody he can destroy. Trying to find somebody he can devour. Now I realize that Satan possesses great power, but my friend, Satan can do nothing without God first giving him permission to do it. In chapter 1 of Job, it's God who says to the devil, Have you considered my servant Job? Now think about that. What's also interesting, God wouldn't allow, he didn't allow Satan to afflict Job beyond certain limits that God has set. 
How many know that God has Satan on a chain? And God says to Satan, you can go this far, but no farther. My friend, the devil is powerful, but he's not omnipotent. He has a great knowledge, but he's not omniscient. Only God of those. In Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus speaking to Peter, and here's what he says. And the Lord says, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you. Why? That he may sift you as wheat. Satan's asked for you, Peter. He wants to sift you as wheat. So Satan operates within the limits imposed by God. Now, by the way, Satan did sift Peter. And Jesus said, Peter, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Now look at these these verses we've read tonight, including here in Luke. To know that in Job's life, in Peter's life, God imposes limits for Satan. And so I, I see here both a comfort as well as a warning. It's a comfort to know that Temptations don't happen by chance, but they're permitted by our Heavenly Father. And how many know He loves you tonight? He wants the best for us. So that's the comfort. And the warning is that God still holds us accountable for how we respond. Now think about that. And no one, no one will ever be able to escape judgment by claiming the devil made me do it. God holds us accountable. And to claim the devil made you do it is a lie. He may have tempted you. He may have enticed you. But at the end of the day, you are the one who did the sinning all by yourself. A comfort and a warning. So number one, God simply allows them to reveal what's on their heart. Number two, he allows Satan to instigate them to evil. And number three, he withdraws his restraining grace. What's restraining grace? It simply means that God doesn't let things get as bad as they could be. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Folks, you need to mark it, keep this in your memory, mark it, write it down. When God removes his hand of grace, things fall apart quickly. That's the restraining grace of God. Romans chapter 1, Paul addresses this. And Paul reminds us that God exercises judgment on unbelieving humanity. And he does that by giving men and women over to further sin. Romans 1.24 Wherefore, God also gave him up to uncleanness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. How many know tonight that sometimes, sometimes God's harshest judgment on sinners is to do nothing? When God says, if you want to destroy your own life, go ahead. Go ahead. If you want to destroy your own family, go ahead. I won't stop you. You've already rejected me. I will now respect your decision. If you want to jump off the cliff, jump off. If you want to believe a lie, believe a lie. But God says, let me warn you. If you jump off that cliff, you're going to find out how sharp the rocks are at the bottom of that cliff. My friend, whenever men and women despise the mercy of God, the only thing that is left is his judgment. He blinds the eyes of those who choose not to see. He hardens the heart of those who prefer to go their own way. He stops up the ears of those who listen but don't hear. And God says if that's how you want it to be, that's the way it's going to be the restraining grace of God. Let's stand together. So where do we go? I mean, what do we think? How do we what what do we leave with tonight? Well, I want to tell you, God's in control, and it's going to be all right. It's going to work out for our good and our glory. And yes, God does involve himself with sinners. He doesn't cause them to do it, but he allows it. And it's a purpose. But again, God's will is going to be accomplished. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. <clears throat> we praise you. We thank you for your precious word and the clear instruction of your word. And I pray tonight for all your children, God, may we understand that, God, you're always at work 
even the time we don't see it. And remind us often, Lord, that even when we don't see your hand, we can trust your heart. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us from that root of bitterness sprouting up in our lives. Help us to focus on you and not our problems. Help us, God, to make you so great in our lives that you dwarf every problem we have. Father, draw us near to you tonight. And we love you tonight. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.